0: Welcome to the Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we continue our study in the prophet Zephaniah with the second chapter. Gather together, yes gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of Yahweh, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of Yahweh. Seek Yahweh all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of Yahweh. For Gaza shall be deserted, and Ashkelon shall become a desolation. Ashdod's people shall be driven out at noon, and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to you inhabitants of the seacoast, you nation of the Karathites. The word of Yahweh is against you. O Canaan, land of the Philistines, and I will destroy you until no inhabitants is left. And you, O sea-coast, shall be pastures, with meadows for shepherds and folds for flocks. The sea-coast shall become the possession of the remnant of the house of Judah, on which they shall graze, and in the houses of Ashkelon they shall lie down at evening. For Yahweh their God will be mindful of them and restore their fortunes, I have heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites, how they taunted my people and made boasts against their territory. Therefore, as I live, declares Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab shall become like Sodom, and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a land possessed by nettles and salt pits and a waste forever. The remnant of my people shall plunder them, and the survivors of my nation shall possess them. This shall be their lot in return for their pride, because they taunted and boasted against the people of Yahweh of hosts. Yahweh will be awesome against them, for he will famish all the gods of the earth, and to him shall bow down each in its place all the lands of the nations. You also, O Cushites, shall be slain by my sword, and he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria, He will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry waste like the desert. Herds shall lie down in their midst, all kinds of beasts, even the owl and the hedgehog shall lodge in her capitals. A voice shall hoot in the window. Devastation will be on the threshold, for her cedar work will be laid bare. This is the exultant city that lives securely, that said in her heart, I am and there is no one else. What a desolation she has become, a lair for wild beasts. Everyone who passes by her hisses and shakes his fist. This is the word of the Lord. So this prophecy in chapter 2 from Zephaniah is going to begin with the idea of repentance. That's why God is calling them together to gather together before the day comes upon them. Because what happens when the day comes? The day comes and judgment is had. The day comes and there's no more opportunity to repent. I always think of the flood with this, that Noah builds the ark. We don't know how many years it took him to build the ark, but he was at it likely for several. The neighbors may have seen it and pondered and wondered what a strange sight this was and a strange thing for him to be doing. And as they do, they might have asked him about it, at which point he tells them what God has said. It's an opportunity for them to repent, and yet they don't. Then, however, when the ark is sealed and shut and the floodwaters start to come, you can imagine how those same neighbors might have ran to the ark and started pounding on the ark and seeking to get in. But they couldn't. The door was shut and Jesus again in his parables is going to teach in this fashion as well the idea of the the bridegroom who comes and the five virgins had their lamps ready and the other five didn't and so he takes the five who were ready to the party while the other five were off doing their thing in the market buying more oil and when they come he doesn't open the door to them the door shut The judgment has come so there is a period of repentance there's time for repentance and that time is now as jesus christ says in his first sermon in matthew chapter 4 verse 12 uh, that section verse 17 specifically repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand you have the opportunity today is the day to confess our sins Confess before the judgment comes. That's the opportunity here. The day passes away like chaff. Your opportunity to repent will just be blown away. Chaff is the, the flaky stuff, the shell of the wheat that falls off and is just gone. It's useless. Blown away by the wind. Seek Yahweh. All you humble of the land who do his just commands. And Jesus will also tell us to seek the Lord in his righteousness in his Sermon on the Mount Matthew 6. Humble of the land, those who are not prideful. Many write about the dangers of pride in Scripture. We are to not think highly of ourselves. That's not why we're here. We're not even here to think of ourselves. We're here to love God and our neighbor. His commands are just. They're not evil, they're good. They're just, they're right. Seek righteousness. Seek humility, perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of Yahweh. This reminds me of the repentance of the king of Assyria in Nineveh when Jonah came preaching, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's basically his message to his people, that they would repent, that they would tear their clothes and, and grieve in sackcloth and ashes and fast and all sorts of things, because who knows, maybe God will relent. Maybe he won't bring that disaster. Perhaps you will be hidden. Perhaps you will be spared in the day when Jerusalem and Judah are destroyed. Not only Jerusalem and Judah, but the rest of this chapter is really going to engage all the others around, all the other nations as well. could be a good family conversation to talk about these other places and see if they can remember any of the stories of God And God's people as they interacted with these other places. Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, those are the cities of Philistia, the Philistines, Canaan mentioned here, Carithites, probably not, that's Crete, Moab, Ammon, those nations descend from Lot's daughters, Sodom, Gomorrah, Genesis 19, the Cushites, that's the land southeast of Egypt, Assyria, Nineveh, a lot here that you can talk about, a lot of stories with all those different places, maybe not so much with Cush. I'll try and point some of that out along the way. Another question for our families, as we see that perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of Yahweh, how are we hidden on that day? the day again twofold prophecies we were talking about ultimately this is the return of Christ and the day of judgment that comes and we are hidden on that day from destruction we are rescued we are redeemed we are saved by the blood of Jesus on the cross he has taken our sins away so even though we are not innocent he sees us as innocent even though we are not righteous God sees us as righteous We are hidden under the shelter of Jesus' wings as he sought to once gather the city of Jerusalem as a hen would gather her chicks, but Jerusalem would not come. All right, so these different places, Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, all given the picture of desolation being a desert. Gath is the only one missing. This is the five chief cities of the Philistines each with its own king. Gath had been taken away from the Philistines and given to David a long time before. That can be seen in First Chronicles chapter 18. So here's one enemy, the Philistines, who fought against, indeed, King David primarily. But even in the time of the judges, they're the enemy that Samson fights against. They cause conflict and chaos for King Saul, And it's David who really battles against them and puts them in check. Goliath is a Philistine. Saul was afraid to go out and fight him. But David did. The Carathites are most likely a reference here to the island of Crete in the Mediterranean Sea. So that these peoples would also know that God's judgment is coming for them, whether they live on the sea or on an island. It matters not. The word of Yahweh is against you, O Canaan. That's the original. Well, original might not be accurate, but it's the previous name for the promised land before it was Israel. It was inhabited by the Canaanites. It was the land of Canaan. And so as you look through the book of Genesis, as Jacob and and Joseph and so forth in those chapters, their stories, you see the land of Canaan. There's not a lot of interaction mentioned specifically with the Canaanites, after those years, once they enter the promised land, there's a little, but not as much, as the Philistines. The Moabites and the Ammonites, again, descended from Lot's daughters, so that's after they're rescued, after they're spared from Sodom and Gomorrah. They don't trust that God will provide, and so they take matters into their own hand, they get their dad drunk, and they sleep with him. And they conceive by him. They name their sons Moab, which means from father, and Ami, Ben-Ami, son of my father. That gives us the Moabites and the Ammonites. And Israel has been guilty of worshiping both of their gods, which would be... Molech to the Ammonites, and I believe it's Kamash to the Moabites. God, however, is going to use both of these peoples to fight against his own people, the Jews, Judah. In Second Kings chapter 24, in the years of 609 to 598 BC, they're going to be raiders against them. Are going to be involved in many other conflicts with God's people as well. God is going to ultimately destroy them as he did Sodom and Gomorrah, which is a reference back to Genesis 19, upon whom God rained fire and brimstone from above, so thoroughly destroying their two cities that they may indeed have been included into the Dead Sea at that point, engulfed in its waters. Cush, we don't know as much about, it's southeast of Egypt, similar descent. Assyria, definitely, and Nineveh. God spared them in the day of Jonah the prophet. Jonah didn't want to go to them. He wanted to see them destroyed. He was afraid that God would be merciful and forgive them. That's what you get if you read all of Jonah's book. Jonah 4 comes out quite cleanly, what's the issue? And yet God did spare them anyway. But nonetheless, they don't remain in that repentance. They turn back to their wicked and evil and destructive ways and and rebel against God again, and so that judgment's going to befall them. He will use Assyria to destroy Israel, but then he will destroy Assyria by the hand of Babylon. So destruction comes for those who do not repent. He's giving them the opportunity to do so. All right, what else jumps out in the text Today, verse 7, the sea coast shall become the possession of the remnant of the house of Judah. When Babylon takes the Jews captive in 587 BC, which you can find in Second Kings 25, the poorest of the people are left behind in the land to work the land, to grow vines, and so forth. The remnant of the house of Judah shall graze there. Even in Ashkelon they will lie down, so even in the cities of the Philistines. God will take the lands of these other enemies away from them and give it to his own people. Yahweh their God will be mindful of them and restore their fortunes. 538 BC, after Cyrus, king of Persia, defeats Babylon, he sends them home. He allows the exiles to return to their home, even pays to help rebuild their their community, and the temple. So God has heard how Moab and Ammon have taunted his people, how they have fought against his people. He has seen, he has answered. He has fought against them himself. He will put them to an end. They will be destroyed utterly. And God swears it, right? Verse 9, therefore as I live, declares Yahweh. They're not getting out of this one. The remnant of my people shall plunder them the survivors of my nation shall possess them once again God caring for his own people even through even though they've been destroyed as well because of unbelief God spares a remnant a faithful remnant who trust in him and he gives them the possession of their enemy that reminds me of Jesus parable of the talents That you have the man with the five, another with two, another with one. The master entrusts to them as he goes out on a journey. The one with five earns five more. The one with two earns two more. The one with one buries it because he's afraid of the master. When the master returns, he says, Well done, good and faithful servant to both the guy who had ten and four, the ones who had five and two originally. Come enter into the joy of your master. But he ends up taking the one talent from the guy who had nothing and giving it to the one who had 10. And this is a picture of the day of judgment. That even what you have will be taken away from you. So if you don't have faith, all you have is your worldly stuff. And on that last day, that worldly stuff is going to be taken away from you. You'll truly have nothing. Nothing. And that then is given to those who had is a reference to the new creation, that we'll get to be there, and the Lord will give us authority in that place, dominion, to reign together with Christ in caring for the new heaven and the new earth. This shall be their lot in return for their pride. Pride is a sin, a very dangerous sin, that causes us to look to ourselves instead of to the Lord because they taunted and boasted against the people of Yahweh. This is why Obadiah the prophet writes against Edom in his short one-chapter book. They, too, the same thing, pridefully trusted in themselves, mocked the destruction of God's people, so forth. Yahweh will be awesome against them. This is a rare, true use of the word awesome in English today. Awesome means worthy of fear. Awe, fear, and then the sum suffix means something is worthy of something. His action against them will be worthy of fear. Just as when he even descended on Sinai and the people were terrified, or when even he sends an angel, a messenger, and people are terrified. God's action, his judgment, will be terrifying. He will famish. Starve out all the gods of the earth. Every nation will bow down. If Philippians 2 reference there, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All enemy peoples, Cush, Assyria, Nineveh, Philistia, he's going to destroy all of them. And herds will lie down in them all kinds of beasts. Why? Because there's no man there. So even the owl will make its hoot in the window. Can you imagine an owl landing in your windowsill and hooting? Owls avoid people. There won't be any people there. So windowsill? No problem. All their work will be laid bare, exposed to the elements, exposed to destruction. This is the exultant city that lives securely and said in its heart, I am and there is no one else. God tears down the proud, but he exalts the humble. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said those those words too. Everyone who passes by her hisses and shakes his fist. It's a common language in the prophets. So we might think of going by a run-down neighborhood, where buildings are boarded up or falling down and kind of shaking our head. Well, apparently in the ancient world, they did a little more than shake their head. They would actually hiss as they passed by it, like a, keep that thing away from me kind of a reaction. I want nothing to do with that. So hissing like a snake, shaking his fist in a sign of violence against any that would come out of that town against them. It's a bit of a harsher picture in that way. But the prophets use that language often, typically even that God's own city, Jerusalem, would be such a place because they had abandoned him. Where there is not God, there is not hope. Chapter 1 of Zephaniah, the day of the Lord draws near. Chapter 2, a warning to repent before that day comes.